What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Sigmund Freud coined a term that the moment I heard it, it affected a, a change in my mindset. It was something that I immediately adopted into my sort of working paradigm of understanding the world. The phrase he coined is, the narcissism of petty differences. The narcissism of petty differences. Um, it's a fact, of course, we know from Revelation, if not experience, that all human nature, all of us are inherently proud people. We're inherently inclined to vanity, which in its most extreme form is narcissism. Which means that we're all inclined to try and carve out these particular niches, small cliques, based on the tiniest things in order to feel like we are somehow more special than everybody else because we belong to, look, this special group. Put the other way, the very fact that we are inclined to organize ourselves um, in clique groups reveals that we have within us at root um, what in full bore would be narcissism. It's true in our day, uh, and we see that it was true in St. Paul's day in the little uh, well, it wasn't little, in the big port town of Corinth, but it was a small church in Corinth. Folks were aligning themselves into factions according to which teacher that they felt most inclined to. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, which is just the Aramaic name for Peter. Um, so Paul and Peter, two of the greatest teachers in the early church. Um, and from these factions, they were quarreling with each other. We know that it says in verse 11, um, it's reported to me that some of you are quarreling. And he says that before he then lists the factions into which... Um, they sort of have made themselves in order to be able to quarrel. Paul is writing to calm the quarreling and to do away with the factions. His goal is unity in the church. Firstly, of course, because the divisions are artificial. They're man-made. There's only one Jesus, and there can therefore only be one Christianity. Moreover, um, Peter and Paul were preaching the same gospel. Right? They might have had different emphases, different sort of pastoral approaches, but they're playing for the same team. So they, they themselves, as Paul is saying, like someone was allying with him. Paul wasn't like, nice, I'm glad I've got my Paul followers, right? He was like, no, 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 Peter, and Paul, we're all preaching the same Lord. We're all preaching the same message. It was the contentious hearers who wanted to draw these lines of division between them. Narcissism, really, at root, um, not a substantive dis difference in the content, and it needed to be pruned out of the church then, and it actually still needs to be pruned out of the church. What's really interesting to me is that um, 2,000 years after Paul wrote, or about 2,000 years since Corinthians was written, um, the body of Christ is still divided along factions really typified by the names that Paul lists. So even when we look at the whole body of Christ on the earth today, um, there's those who follow Peter, which I think is sort of symbolic of those who claim sort of as the central point of their church, the chair of St. Peter, right? the Roman Catholic Church. They believe that their communion is the sum of the church on earth, and if you're not a part of them, well, then your salvation is in question. That's their plain teaching. They've made a division in the body at the exclusion of others. 
On the other side, there's those who follow Paul, who, rejecting the claims of Peter and taking the message of Romans and Galatians and sort of um, rallying against it, would say, well, only the Protestant church is the true church, and that apart from the Protestant church, there aren't true Christians. Right? Again, it's the same mistake, just on the opposite side, making this division in the body and saying, well, we're the followers of Paul. We, we're the ones who have it really right. In case you didn't know your history, that was, it was Galatians and Romans, Paul's letters that really um, were the touchstones of the Reformation with Martin Luther and John Calvin. Then we have Apollos, which I think could signify two things. Um, his name is sort of quintessentially Greek, so maybe this is a symbol um, could be understood to, for the Greek Orthodox Church and the Eastern Churches, which, like the Roman Catholics, say, well, we are the only church, and nobody else um, can call, rightly call themselves Christian who's not a part of this faction. But we know um, from the book of Acts that Apollos was a really charismatic speaker. He was very eloquent, which was sort of the opposite approach of St. Paul, right, who just said, um, I don't come with fancy rhetoric so that the cross of Christ wouldn't be emptied of its power. We know Apollos was a, a great teacher. So I think we, there's a sort of analogy to our own day for those who are devoted to like a single superstar pastor, someone who God may have gifted with a great gift of teaching ability, who might have a lot of natural skill, but when there's sort of this rallied group that like, well, yes, I'm a part of, I, I follow this singular teacher. I'm not going to name any specific ones, but you know who's out there. I think being devoted to a single teacher, um, it's not as overtly exclusive as being a part of the Peter Club or the Paul Club, um, but in its enculturation, it's sort of, there can be a sort of subtle elitism, like, well, I'm among those who, who follow this guy. It's a, a faction, a man-made faction. And I think there's an additional curiosity in, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Paul lists a fourth faction. What was it? Paul, Apollos, Cephas. What's the fourth faction? Those who follow Christ. Which it should be a little bit confusing when you hear that. Like, wait, isn't that the very thing Paul's trying to encourage? It's like allegiance to Christ? So what is this fourth faction? Um, it would seem on the surface to be good, but Paul is clearly calling it out as not good. And I actually think it's maybe the most sneaky faction of all, still present in our day, it's to claim to stand apart from all traditions, from all merely human teachers, and say, I follow Christ directly without any human teacher. Which sounds fine, um, but when you look at how that plays out, what it is actually the case, it's still a man-made tradition, a tradition of one, right? You are the one person follower of this tradition because you're subjecting Christ to your own interpretation of what he's called you to and his commandments. It's every bit as traditional, it's just much more exclusive, unique to yourself. This one's really alive in our own day. It takes many forms, one of which is the popular saying to say, well, I don't need church to be a Christian. I think anyone who says that is, would fall under Paul's condemnation. The same thing that says, well, I follow Christ. I don't need Paul and Apollos and Cephas. I just follow Christ. And St. Paul, um, and, and you know, particularly I think that could have a, Sneaky air of superiority, you know, even as it sounds so pure on the surface. St. Paul wants none of this. God speaking through St. Paul tells us to, to knock it off. We need to stop making these artificial man-made lines within the body of Christ um, so that we can quarrel with each other. To stop inventing petty differences, to stop quarreling. 
The real case is that all those who confess Christ Jesus as Lord, all those who've been baptized into his name, belong to the same body. Whether or not they think they do, they might think they're a part of some super-exclusive club, but they're wrong. They actually belong to just the one body of Christ. We all belong to one body. As it says in Ephesians, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Those things are not exclusive, right? They work together. There is one church on earth. And our faith that we inhabit is built on the witness of not just one apostle, not one singular teacher, but all the apostles. That's actually the culmination of this argument. You have to read two chapters ahead. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.22, he says, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, all are yours. Right? He's saying you need, the, the whole church needs all of the apostolic witness. We don't just have Paul's letters. We also have James and Jude's and Peter's and John's in the New Testament. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. See how that's how he undoes the, the, the I'm with Christ faction. It's like, no, no, you do need apostles. You do need teachers in the church, the great apostolic teachers. But we need all of them together. And I love that in the vision of Revelation, um, there's just 24 thrones around the great throne of God. There's not like the really big chair for Peter, and then the slightly bigger chair, small, you know, and then Paul, and then all these little chairs for the, the apostles who we never hear about, the Thaddeuses and Bartholomews of the world. There's just 24 thrones. And the New Jerusalem is built with the names of all the apostles at the foundations, right? Not just one big apostle, all of the apostles. Because they all preached the same gospel of Jesus Christ. So what this means then, the ramification of this, is that despite our instinct towards narcissism, um, every Christian on earth is nothing more and nothing less than a Christian, a Christ follower, a member of what we call the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There's only one of them, and we all belong to it, who have faith and have been baptized. However, we might conceive of it wrongly, um, either in in some factitious camp, So really there's um, two um, seemingly small, but I actually think this comes up fairly regularly in our interactions with our brothers and sisters in the community, two takeaways um, from this this truth. The first is that we should never, ever look down our nose at a Christian who belongs to a different denomination. Whether they're Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or non-denominational or it's a big church or a small church, doesn't matter. There's only one church. So it pains me when, when I hear Christians say, well, we don't do it like the Methodists, or we don't do it like the Baptists. It's like, they're your brothers, right? They're, we shouldn't be making these camps. Um, kind of the flip side of this is that um, I'm thrilled that I know a number of you have discovered the riches of the Anglican tradition and have been nurtured front through them. Like, this is my greatest joy. It's part of why I'm in the Anglican tradition because I think there's some good worship practices and prayer practices and things that this communion cultivates that are really useful for discipleship. I asked um, the Archbi- our, old, our previous Archbishop, Archbishop Duncan, one time um, at lunch. I was kind of this pompous first-year seminarian, and I sat down next to him, and I was like, Archbishop, why are you an Anglican? <laughs> but he just, in, in total humility and soberness, as he demonstrates all the time, um, he just said, um, it's a reliable way to be a Christian. He's the Archbishop, Right? I mean, he's got the big ring on his finger. He, he worships in all pomp and circumstance. It's a reliable way to be a Christian. And I think he was dead on that Anglicanism, um, it doesn't exist to make devotees of Anglicanism. It exists to make Christians. The, um, don't sort of mistake the, 
the vehicle for the thing being carried. Like if there's a truck with tons of goods on it, you don't be like, wow, I just love this truck. Right? Well, no, sometimes guys love trucks. So I'm, I don't mean that. I'm thinking like semi-truck. Well, I guess some guys love those too. But anyways, if it's carrying great freight, the, the purpose is the freight, right? And so Anglicanism is just the vehicle carrying forward the great freight, which is discipleship of Jesus Christ. And yes, we have riches from the great tradition that I think makes it a great delivery. Um, but the goal is to be a Christian, first and foremost, right? And if we take Anglicanism and make it the sort of our own faction, well, then we're just the same as the Peter camp or the Paul camp. We're just in the weird Thomas Cranmer camp. Right? That's, not, that's not the goal. The goal is to, not to be devotees of Anglicanism, but devotees of Jesus. Plain and simple. So I encourage you to not be like the Corinthians, to not entrench in petty differences. Um, Thomas Cranmer wasn't crucified for our salvation. Even the church fathers, who you know I love, weren't crucified for our salvation. They were all pointing to the only one who was crucified for our salvation. Right? Like, we honor the tradition most when we look where the tradition's pointing, and it all points with one great resounding voice to the one Lord, Jesus Christ. Christ alone who was crucified for us. So let's worship him, and let's worship him in unity. The unity that he desires us to have. Amen.